Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 241 for Monday, April 17th, 2023. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is a well-constructed Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I am indeed uh, sturdier than, than most, sometimes to my disappointment. You <laughs> should check out the render distance, though, because we were talking about constructing things uh, in the house, uh, in the studio, if it happens to be Lego, uh, and well as dueling over other people's Lego because they have the Rivendell set. If you want to hear more about that, then check out the Render Distance. It is the extended version of the podcast that we give to our patrons every week. It's like an extra half an hour sometimes of content, depending on how much we've got to say about what we've been doing outside of the show. Uh, the post show usually is an extended Minecraft conversation too. So if you're just here for the Minecraft, then you are maybe missing out. So check it out at patreon.com slash the spun chunks. Speaking of the Patreon page, one of the things that that unlocks is the chunk mail dispenser, where we answer extra listener chunk mail. That's going to happen today. That's this episode. And the monthly Minecraft Hangout is coming up this Saturday, April 22nd, usually recorded at 10 a.m. Atlantic. That's UTC minus three hours. But watch for confirmation in the announcements channel on the Discord. It is happening Saturday, and I'm pretty sure it will be at the regular time. Well, from physical construction, we turn now to virtual construction as we talk about what's new in our Minecraft lives this week. So uh, you go first, Joel. How's the Citadel? The Citadel is looking very green, which I like. Uh, we have been spending quite a bit of time finishing up the South Road approach to West Hill. I, uh, this is something that took a lot longer. I think there are like five parts to the stream series uh, because of just how much faffing around i had to do with custom trees custom bushes uh something i've decided is difficult to talk over like i can build a bridge and talk a mile a minute about what i'm doing but when i'm trying to place like random bushes yeah <laughs> like, there's just something about my artist brain that i have to kind of sit there in silence and look at something and try to figure out where do i need a bush where do i need a blade of grass and yes this section is not just randomly bone mealed i actually did kind of hand place everything just because I, I wanted to see if that's worth it. I wanted to see how long that would take. Turns out it takes a very long time, uh, but I am happy with it. And um, the things that I think are worth the time are the custom trees that frame the views uh, and that reveal certain things as you get closer to town, uh, the custom riverbanks that kind of like hide the dirty sides of grass blocks and any kind of custom path work. You could get away with placing a couple of random leaf blocks and then hitting the rest of the plates with bone meal and then just walking around and just like shaving the too tall grass that you don't like or the flowers that you don't like. That's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I'm a little bit more of a perfectionist. <laughs> so <laughs> I went in there and, and I did the whole thing, but I'm quite happy with it. it. It was a lot of fun and it creates some very interesting views outside the town. And I think that's something that people that maybe struggle with, you know, they've built a really cool castle, but there's something that they just can't quite put their finger on. Uh, it doesn't look like the things that they see on, on YouTube. I would take a minute and look at, you know, builders that we've had on the show, like um, Mythical Sausage, like Fwip, uh, like yourself, obviously, uh, and take a look at the work that goes in around a build. And, and I think that that makes a big difference. It's time consuming, and I will confess is not the most fun. I much prefer structures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you feel more accomplished at the end of the day. You haven't felt like you've been gardening in Minecraft all afternoon, but I like it. I think it, I think it's come a long way. Yeah, it's looking good. I think one of the things, because my week has been a lot of Minecraft Legends lately, and one of the things I've been looking at in that game is the way 
they construct their environments. They have to be traversable to the player quite easily. So there's not a lot of ground foliage. There's not a lot of like the the kind of bushes and stuff that you've used here and there, like leaf blocks and stuff like that. But there's a lot of grass. They have the advantage, of course, of being able to vary the plant life and stuff because none of it is stuff that you collect and craft with, so it doesn't all have to be player-editable terrain. Um, but there's a lot of area there where they've got a little bit of ground foliage here and there. They've, they've managed to use a couple more inventive things, like, you know, there are thorny bushes that it's a problem if you run through them, or in the jungle areas, I think there are more poisonous plants as well. And then occasional patches right. of wheat that you run through to boost yourself. But what I've really been looking at in their environment design is their use of boulders, because stone is a resource that you just kind of leave around the place so that players can collect it, so that it becomes part of a, a resource of the... Uh, of the game and i think it's kind of neat to contrast that with the way people build when they're building successful looking landscapes in minecraft is that you you end up using individual blocks a lot more instead of giving an overall impression like everything has to be picture perfect on a player scale on a kind of player walking past kind of scale instead of just giving an overall view of the landscape that's going to be rushing past really quickly because players can take their time in vanilla minecraft and look around so i think to try and create a landscape that looks good at a distance but also looks good up close when you're exploring the terrain in first person is is quite the achievement so yeah there's the, even though this is menial work it should not be understated how effective it is Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. And it, it, like I said, it, it gives you that, um, for me, it, it makes it feel like a painting. That's where I kind of approach it, right? Like I'm yeah. looking at composition and like, there are definitely some screenshots where I'm just like, yeah, this is what I wanted. And you don't get that feeling the entire time you're walking along the road. Like it doesn't happen until you're at a specific spot, but I think it, uh, it's worth it. After I finished with the South approach, I moved on to the Western Ridge, which is the last large structure outside the town there's one more bridge across a river that I need to go in i started off with something very minimal it has been there for months and months and months and months where i'm just like okay i know there's a bridge going there i have to consider that as i'm building the rest of the town and in some ways i failed a little bit there's a a river gate that happens at the west uh river on this side of the town and the way that this bridge ended up being uh constructed was much larger than it originally was planned because I wanted the road to go up across the top of the ridge and head on west, kind of like out of the valley. And the bridge towers that I decided I wanted because I wanted to have sort of like a gate feel were so close to the curtain wall of West Hill that it felt silly that they weren't connected. And so I thought, okay, well, I have to connect them. Well, I took an entire stream of that design kind of puzzle kicking my butt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'll have to come back to it. I, I still haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do. I think it's going to involve uh, some changes to the curtain wall and the tower that existed already. I think I'm going to have to either tear it down, make it larger or move it. Um, and it's not a huge deal. It's only, you know, it's a five by five tower. It might be 20 blocks tall. Like it's not, it's not a big thing. Um, but the design decisions that I had to make for this bridge have been, like it's been fun. Don't get me wrong. One of my favorite stages of this kind of build is like the quick kind of like you're putting up the big blocky shapes, you're getting the arch in, you're kind of figuring all that out. But then you get into like the Minecraft challenges of like, well, I really wanted to mimic the East bridge that I did a few weeks ago where it's just had the smooth stone across the top. It was a very flat deck. It was very simple, very clean, kind of brutalist approach to a stone bridge. 
you can't do that when you're going up in increments of slabs in Minecraft because the edge of your build is constantly switching between slabs and full blocks and it just didn't work the way that I wanted it to. And so uh, I had to um, had to make do with some some sacrifices there. And in some ways it worked out. In some ways, some of the happy accidents that I came across were like surrounding a polished andesite block in walls and having it look like a tiny little castle turret top. That kind of stuff looks pretty cool. Adds a lot of detail in a very small space. Uh, lighting it was a, a bit of a challenge. But then also just the the connections and the, the tower designs at the top, trying to get it to look like it matches the curtain wall because now it has to be attached, trying to figure all that out. So... I'm in the process of liking the bridge, but not liking the way that it kind of folds into the curtain wall. And so I've also got kind of a, a weird situation where the curtain wall kind of just stops and the town uses the mountain as natural defense, but then the road goes across the top of the mountain. So I'm, I'm fudging it a little bit, um, but, but so far it's, it's coming together. I've left the hardest part for last, I think. I still have some texture decisions to do on the bridge, but by and large, the form is done. It's it's the connection of the curtain wall and the towers. And I think what has to happen is I have to make the curtain wall larger. And rather than walking across the top of it, I think I might do like a passage inside of it mm -hmm. to make it a little bit less of a problem on top. Yeah, makes sense. I, I do love the shape of this bridge, though. I think it's really nice that it kind of bridges upwards and the arch of the bridge over the river really kind of complements the shape you've got going on there's like a very slight almost s curve to it in the middle and i think that that works really effectively where you've got the supports holding it up and uh yeah like i, I really like the look of this it's kind of fun having done a bit of the castle building stuff on empires now i'm still taking notes anytime i see a medieval build and thinking like oh how can i try and figure out that kind of shape into stuff and i think i need more large stone staircases in my castle on that sort of scale, uh, where there's just going to be like exterior connections from one place to another. Um, if I get that far, we will see. <laughs> the challenge I think that you're going to face if you get into doing staircases like this, or I mean, this is meant to be more like a smooth bridge, but you can't do smooth in Minecraft. And that is um, depending on the blocks that you're choosing for texture, you're limited to whatever slabs are available. Yeah, of so course. So just if you keep that in mind, now you're using a lot of like deep slate and even some blackstone i think in some places where your towers are looking kind of destroyed a bit and that will help because of course that's going to give you a larger palette i'm dealing with most of the 50 percent grays and there's no cracked stone bricks in slabs you know um, so i'm really stuck with like andesite stone and cobblestone yeah as far yeah, as slabs go I, I've been nicknaming my place Castle Grayscale, both because it sounds like a, a Game of Thrones location, but also because it, it's kind of the, the palette that I'm working with. So yeah, now having put up these two towers that I was working on, um, I think I was might have mentioned this on the, the last podcast, I can't remember quite when the design came together, but I was working on these in creative just getting the shapes right at first and I was mocking all of that up just with natural stone and variants and then started putting in the the ruined elements the the blackstone the basalt a bit of deep slate and mud blocks and stuff like that for texture later on and as usual i will you know mention this basically anytime i talk about this but this is all modeled on the way stormvale castle and elden ring looks where sections of it have been destroyed by fire or projectiles or some combination thereof and i wanted this the tower on the left and the tower on the right to kind of match the angle of where they might have been shot from 
if this siege weapon had shot at one tower and then turned and shot the next one. So I wasn't just duplicating the same design twice, even though they're meant to be built sort of the same way initially. Uh, so yeah, I had a lot of fun doing this. I was also experimenting a lot with moody lighting as I went, which is a discussion we've had on the show I think a while ago now, but I mostly build on the surface in this Empire's season, with the exception of my sort of catacombs builds and a couple of redstone farms that are lower down in the world. But I ended up switching the lighting to Moody whilst I was working on this castle tower, and it makes so much of a difference to shading the layers below where there's an overhang. And I kind of fell in love with that image, so uh, for the screenshots I provided to our live audience, some of these might end up in the show notes as well, I had one of them taken at Moody Lighting during the day, but during a rainstorm. Um, it's in the savannah, so I don't get rain happening whilst I'm walking around my base, but the oppressive level of the lighting it genuinely feels like a gloomy overcast kind of day which is sort of perfect for the the uh, the elden ring connection with the uh, stormvale castle being you know the the name comes from the fact that it's on top of a hill where it's constantly cloudy and the weather is uh, windy as all heck it's um yeah it, it's a, a lot of fun designing elements like this and it took a while but i'm really happy with it i even got to doing some interior for the the first of the two towers on uh stream so i was pulling out all of the kind of wooden decorative blocks that I could use, a few pillars that might have supported the staircase or the roof above at one point, but have broken at various stages, and there's a bit of debris around. And one of the things I found as well was glow lichen when you're working with it can light up a room really effectively if you're using bright lighting. But if you dim the lighting to moody again, while it's obviously providing block light to the area and preventing mob spawns, it looks a lot more like just dust and cobwebs, even more so than the spider webs in Minecraft do, because those tend to look quite bright and cartoony, whereas glow lichen feels a lot more dingy, and like there's this covering of dust on stuff that's been left there for a while, like furniture in an old room that you don't go in anymore. And I think that, that worked out really well for the interior of this tower. It's not an approach I would take all the time because I walked into my storage system and I could barely see anything with how dimly I've lit that area intentionally. It's a catacomb, so it's meant to be. But I do actually want to be able to see around me and I'm conscious of the fact that I'm streaming this or I'm making YouTube videos so the audience has to deal with an extra layer of video compression on top of how dark the screen is to begin with and I decided I probably won't take that approach all the time. But an interesting creative challenge and worth doing occasionally if you feel like taking a look around in a slightly moodier lighting. It's funny because I was watching your video and, and thinking to myself, like, I think I play on brightness 30% and always have. I don't mm -hmm. think I've messed around because I stopped doing YouTube videos a while ago, especially any kind of nether videos. And so I've not had to increase the gamma for like YouTube compression or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And very often I'm rushing to sleep and we've even got a meme in my Twitch chat about like, it's the rain again on the Citadel because it, it rains every 20 minutes. Yeah. And and um, when it does that, as depending on the time of day, if it's any time after like, you know, midday, uh, it's hard to see, especially if you're working under a bridge. <laughs> yeah. Know? And uh -huh. so very often you're like, oh, I really want to sleep. It's like it's not a thunderstorm. And I've got like six or eight minutes of like working and like squinting at the screen uh, because I don't have I, I don't think to change the brightness. But then I then I forget to change it back. And then I'm just like taking screenshots that are like blowing out my eye, my retinas because <laughs> yeah. they're so bright. Um, but something I wanted to ask you, we had this discussion this weekend on, on Twitch, uh, which was building at scale. And how wide 
are these towers? What's the diameter on these towers off the top of your head, if you remember? Um, I don't remember exactly, but like just eyeballing this, I'd say it's probably 13 blocks or so, something like that. I was that. about to say, like they, at, at first you're like, God, these looks fantastic. How does he get all this detail into these towers? I was like, wait a minute. They're huge. That's like, that's like <laughs> a six, that's a 12 or 13 diameter tower. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at what I know to be upside down stair blocks and they look like little details. And the upside down stair blocks on my build, which folks in our live chat can compare, they look like huge chonky marlins, you know, mm -hmm. that are at the top of the towers. And it's because my towers, I think the average tower in my curtain wall is seven blocks by seven blocks square. Yeah. And, and they're square. They're not round. You've made round towers. And I think the biggest might be, might be the West Gate, which has got like an eleven by an eleven, and that's massive, because uh, I remember I had to decorate the inside of it. And it, it's just so funny that you know I'm defaulting to like seven by seven, five by five a lot of the time. And we had a discussion in, in Twitch chat about like players having to learn to build bigger in order to get more detail in, like the detail that they see and they like from other creators, and then they go and do their own thing, and they're constantly working at player scale. And you really have to flex your brain to be able to like, no, 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 this has to be huge in order to get the detail in that I want. So I wanted to ask you, like, is this an exercise in that for you? Or have you already done enough big builds that you, you know where you have to like push the scale in Minecraft to get the detail in that you want? Or do you remember a time where you were kind of butting up against that and you were just constantly building too small for the detail that you wanted to, to include? This whole season of Empires has been an exercise in building big for me. Like, if mm. you think about my Empire Season 1 builds in the desert, they were all fairly small by comparison to what I'm building this time around. But, I mean, Episode 5 of Empire Season 2, I built the Great Bridge across the lake, which is a build you can't see one side of it from the other on the default render distance we have. And so it's like the, the scale I'm working with this time around is a lot more grand. And it's because a lot of the scale of stuff in Elden Ring is meant to be kind of like oppressively large to the player as though it was all built by giants to begin with. But I think the the whole idea is that I was pushing myself to build on a larger scale. The difficulty being, of course, that that requires so much more resource input, like it multiplies the amount that you actually spend on it. And over a long enough period of time, like I expect you've put way more resources into West Hill now than I have into any of my builds at my ancient capital. But that's because you've been working on it for two years now and you've been building pretty regularly, whereas I end up taking breaks to do other bits and pieces around the server. So, yeah, there's there's a heck of a contrast at this point, but... I'm enjoying it. I think it's an interesting exercise and one that I hope to continue as I end up building stuff on Empires and in other places in future. The other thing I have done, which I haven't got screenshots of today because I'm not quite happy with it yet, is a tree growing up one wall um, on the exterior of the castle. So it's a tree you can see from standing in the town in the area where my storage system is. And if you look up towards the castle from that direction, you see this large tree clinging to the wall and the leaves kind of jutting out from the sides of that i'm still working on the shape of that but i think it's it's looking all right so far just need to have a couple more tweaks and i'll be able to show you it nice looking forward to that let's move on to the news this week we have a couple of things uh there is no java snapshot i believe sliced lime mentioned this on twitter that there would be no java snapshot this week and it would be arriving on thursday next week uh so keep an eye out for that but in the meantime we have a bedrock edition preview this is preview 1.20.0.20 and the big news this time around is shield customization, a top vanilla parity feature request. A shield can now be combined with a banner to apply its pattern on it. This is something that's been possible in 
Java edition since I think 1.9, so it's been a long time coming and hopefully Bedrock players will enjoy that. Along with that, the Sniffer and the Torch Flower are no longer behind the experimental toggle, being considered, you know, functionally uh, no longer experimental, so in this preview they're available during normal gameplay. The Sniffer Egg is also now available, so when two Sniffers breed they produce an egg instead of spawning a Snifflet, and when placed on Moss the egg will hatch after approximately 10 minutes on all of the blocks, it will hatch in approximately 20 minutes. The Sniffer can also occasionally sniff up Pitcher Pod items as well as Torch Flower Seeds, and the pods when planted on farmland grow into a Pitcher Crop which has five different growth stages, and when fully grown it can be harvested yielding a two block tall pitcher plant. There are a few tweaks to experimental features in preview 1.20.0.20. Brushes can now be enchanted with mending, unbreaking, and curse of vanishing like other tools can. The brush now displays a tooltip when aimed at suspicious blocks on touch devices. Brushing other non-suspicious blocks will now produce a generic brushing sound. Minor pottery shards can now be found as loot when brushing suspicious sand blocks in desert pyramids. The rules for placing blocks on top of fully crafted decorated pots are now aligned between Java and Bedrock, so there's some stuff that you can't place on there, some stuff that you can. They've decreased the maximum number of characters allowed in hanging signs while increasing their font size, similar to what you see on Java Edition. And mobs are now correctly positioned above the surface of bamboo rafts when riding them. There are a lot more other bug fixes and tweaks. Those can all be found on the Minecraft.net changelog or over at feedback.minecraft.net. Minecraft Legends releases tomorrow, April 18th, 2023. It releases at 5 p.m. British Standard Time and 12 noon Eastern Daylight Time. Several other time zones are highlighted on the map that the Legends team posted on Twitter. That's Legends underscore game on Twitter for folks that are wondering. There's also going to be a Minecraft Legends PvP developer stream that's going to happen on twitch.tv slash Minecraft on April 21st from 10 a.m. Pacific to 12 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Eastern Standard Time where eight content creators will be playing a demonstrative match. Greg Lee, Principal Design Director for Minecraft Legends, and Martin Garcia from Xbox Content Marketing will also be there to commentate as well as offer tips and tricks. So big news for Bedrock players. I'm very, very happy that the uh, Shield banner design compatibility is finally there because that was one of the things I always got the most comments about in Minecraft Survival Guide episodes was how did you put your banner design on a shield? And I'd do an episode about it and people would say, well, I can't do that <laughs> because a lot of them were Bedrock players who were just tuning into the series for general hints and tips. So I, I was genuinely excited to see that come up on this week's Bedrock Changelog because man, what a, what a weight that has been. But I presume part of that is also tied into stuff with armor trims, which were added to Bedrock in preview recently. And I think it's nice that the team is able to get this level of customization added on top of all of the newer stuff we're getting in Trails and Tales since that's so it's so keen on um you know player ex expression and that kind of stuff like it's it's finally possible to coordinate that outfit a little bit better in Bedrock Edition too it makes sense as well because of the you know the focus on as you said expression but then taking those parody changes and focusing on the ones that are expression related or yeah. creative related and i think that's good to kind of rise those to the top it's almost like you know bedrock is getting those little minor updates in some ways that that java has has been getting this year with the 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 point three and the point four for for one not 19 uh and i think that it, you know like all these kind of things are, are good to kind of bring the the player experience across the board you know, to the point where like the UI would be probably my first tip 
that I'd be watching a bedrock stream or video, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, dep- like I don't know if I would be able to to clue in right away. You know, it. I guess it would. Yeah. I guess the first thing is like the UI. There's always like a little dude in the top corner. Your little your little avatar, right? I think even that you can toggle now in right. In so it depends. It depends on how people are playing around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and honestly, like I I don't always notice like even as somebody who plays java edition so much like i don't notice the difference between bedrock and java edition unless certain stuff happens like the player dies or like you know if they're flying around with elytra sometimes that can feel a little bit different if the the obviously if they're playing with an xbox controller or something then the button prompts will appear on screen the tooltips and stuff but right like most of the time it's not really noticeable to me unless they say something specifically about bedrock edition and I notice it all the time when I'm playing because the movement feels slightly different to me and either something about like the default field of view or the way there's a, a, a difference in like input delay between Bedrock and Java that I've always kind of noticed mm, and it's the first mm-hmm. thing that kind of throws me off. Um, but that's like, it, it's so much experiential stuff. It's so much like first-hand experience that if I'm watching somebody on Twitch play Minecraft, like it, it, I don't know. Uh, at a glance which one they're playing unless they they mention it or unless they enable shaders or something like that and i'm like oh, okay java player cool yeah this might be anecdotal just because we've been talking about bedrock a lot on the show and and i just might be noticing it because i have bedrock on on the brain sometimes but i've noticed a lot of people coming into my twitch chat and one of the first things they'll ask is like is it java or is it bedrock and mm-hmm. i'm just i'm thinking in my head like you you couldn't tell off the start but okay yeah. um i also i mean like i don't have it in my in my um twitch title I'm, I'm the twitch title is like the citadel Westill, like what i'm doing i'm not i don't say like java minecraft one you know dot 19 dot three or whatever so i mean it's a valid question and sometimes people just come in they ask that question before they even really look so there's that too mm-hmm. um but, um, but yeah i've noticed that question coming up a lot more and so i'm i'm wondering if the parody changes that are happening are also piquing bedrock players interests in oh well now that we're getting so close to java maybe i could try java and it wouldn't be so much of a, a shock to the system you know yeah i mean the same is true in the opposite direction as well mm-hmm. now that yep. every everybody technically should have access to both java and bedrock at this point if they bought minecraft within a certain date range <laughs> so like yeah it, it's very easy to get hold of both versions and try them both out especially if you're a pc player obviously a little more difficult to play java if you're on console or something like that but i think it's uh, it's nice that people have the option of both um speaking of things coming to consoles of course minecraft legends uh drops tomorrow very excited for that and i've been doing a couple of streams earlier in the week and playing a little bit ahead of time because i was lucky enough to be gifted an early access code by uh mojang and microsoft so I've been recording a little bit. Can't say too much about the campaign until it arrives tomorrow because they want to avoid spoilers getting out there, I suppose. The campaign does have a story and it's kind of worth following the story as as you go. But um, you've got Xbox Game Pass, right? So you're going to be able to like install it right away when it when it launches. It's already installed, as a matter of fact. Oh, so, nice. F- yeah, for folks that are, are interested, uh, if you've pre-purchased or if you are a Game Pass or Game Pass Ultimate or PC Game Pass subscriber, I have Ultimate, which means I have access to Minecraft Legends on both my PC and my Xbox. Uh, if you go to Game Pass on Xbox, you can pre-install the game, as you can pre-install most games on Game Pass uh, so that they're ready to go the moment that the release date happens, that there's just an internal thing that clicks over and you can just play the game. So it's already installed on my Xbox. And it was a little bit more of a, of a loop. Uh, you have to use the updated 
Minecraft launcher on PC, which then takes you to the Windows Store. And then you have to be make sure that you're signed in, which I wasn't because I don't use PC Game Pass that much on my on my PC. And um, then I had to pre-install it. So I don't know what the launch is going to look like, whether it's going to have its own icon, whether it's going to be able to be launched from the from the Minecraft launcher. I'm assuming it would be. Um, but either way, it is pre-installed. I'm ready to go. And as it turns out, 12 p.m. Eastern is 1 p.m. Atlantic, which is my regular Tuesday stream time. So I'm going to be streaming Minecraft Legends tomorrow. And I think I even misspoke on Sunday and said I'd be back, <laughs> back doing stuff on West Hill. Uh, but I'll be I'll be doing some Legends tomorrow. Uh, and I believe I'm going to start off with single player campaign uh, just to kind of go through the tutorial, which seems to be very important from all the videos that I've watched. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And speaking with you last week. And so I'll I'll do that. I'll do some campaign missions. I don't know if I'm going to do the whole stream as a single player. I'd like to jump into some some matches with friends or at least co-op with friends, because that's one of the things I like about this. Uh, this game is that you can do co-op campaign. So once I've got my hand around things and I don't feel like a complete noob then I might try to pair up with some some friends to either do co-op or to to jump into some some PvP or even just like if it's like PvP but it's computer you know what I mean like it's it'd yeah. be like you and I co-op against computer controlled players instead of instead of just other other friends but um have you have you have any planned streams with with friends like do you have PvP matches that you're planning coming up We've kind of been doing it like as and when we want to. We wanted to do a stream on the first day we were able to, which was um, the 14th. Uh, so a bunch of us got together as me, Grian, Fwip, and a couple of others, um, names you may be familiar with. And yeah, we, we ended up doing uh, four, no, we did three matches, two of which were proper 4v4, one of which was a 3v4 where I was on the team of three with Fwip, and then I think Shelby was with us as well, uh, Shubble. And um, but that was because Martin in the Littlewood couldn't join for whatever reason. I think he had to like install it on his Xbox because he was having issues connecting to our game on PC. Um, and so he eventually turned up halfway through the match, not quite in time to sway things in our favor. But I think we did pretty well holding out against four other players. Um, so we've we've had a bit of fun with it so far. I played a couple of like casual games of it offline as well. We've kind of been dipping in and out with a, a group of us, but. Um, yeah, I haven't done any co-op for the campaign or, or any of the, the other modes yet. Like, Fwip and I have gone 1v1 and just kind of talked about the game in a, in a casual sort of sense. And, and there's a training mode as part of the versus mode. So you can go up against AI, although the AI player doesn't have a hero character and isn't very active. So it's not like going up against the computer in oh, StarCraft okay. where they're controlling, like, mm. the Protoss or mm -hmm. the Terrans or whatever. And okay. you're Zerg and you're rushing them. Like, it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. The upside to that, though, is it's a good way of trying out different strategies and, like, getting used to the PvP environment, figuring out the cost of certain things. Because it seems to work a little differently to the campaign where rewards unlock almost for story progress rather than progressing through, like, the material system and right. there's a few things in the campaign which just aren't in the pvp thing at all because they are long-term upgrades for your world and and stuff to to like look at a little bit later but, but without going into too much detail about that there are some differences between the two but the pvp mode seems like it's just designed for short skirmish kind of matches that last about an hour at most um, a couple of hours have gone to stalemates in in pretty dramatic fashion where it just comes down to like 
we've almost depleted some of the resources on the map that you need to do certain things so it's whoever's got the most built up base is probably going to win because eventually they'll just roll over the opponent and the opponent can't do much about it. So I do think the PvP in this game needs a bit more balance to it, especially if you're operating at a really high level. But as a casual thing to jump into and just try a few things out, it's been a blast. It's been really, really fun. I, incidentally, I'm also streaming on Tuesday and if you feel like an hour is long enough for you to get a handle on things and you maybe want to jump into some co-op after that, I will probably be around. Um, okay, cool. so so ping me in discord and and i'll see what i can manage but uh yeah i might start my stream a little bit later and we can co-stream some of that if you're uh, if you're up for that um, oh absolutely yeah I, I won't commit you to that right away but if you, if you feel like doing that then we can um and yeah like I've, I've had a poke around i've also tried out this is something that'd be really fun for us to do together actually there's a a challenge map that you can download for free already there's this section that previously i thought was called lost legends and i because the text hadn't like scrolled over in the screenshot of it that i had it's called lost legends and myths and that's where they're going to provide monthly updates for like content in terms of challenge maps so every month there's going to be a new lost legend for players to play i don't know if they're going to charge in-game currency for those in future but the first one at least is free and then it seems like there's going to be a marketplace for player generated content in the form of myths um and it doesn't say that there isn't any kind of map creator tool built into minecraft legends so it's probably going to be marketplace partners and people who will have access to the kind of back-end tools that they use to build maps for minecraft legends but myths seems like a, a dlc thing that players are going to be playing through but also creating at the same time whereas the lost legends are the ones that the minecraft legends team themselves will create so the first one of those is called the portal pile and it's basically a tower defense game you defend a village in between three nether portals which are just constantly sending waves of piglins in and you get 30 seconds of prep time resource gathering and building before the next wave launches and you've got to manage your units and kind of build stuff on the fly throughout that and it's really fun i absolutely sucked at it the first couple of times i played it <laughs> because i didn't have the right strategy and i hadn't done a huge amount of base building before but on the third attempt i managed to get through it and i found a pretty decent strategy for for winning the day so yeah 20 waves worth of piglins coming at you though a little overwhelming at times they do a good job of varying things and i think it's kind of fun uh so worth worth a look if you're interested in um a, a different challenge something that's not campaign related but if you're not quite getting into pvp right away once you've uh, picked up the game and had a, a chance to play the tutorial so one of the things that i noticed when watching your stream uh with the pvp matches is the frantic pace at which mm -hmm. the PvP matches go. Now I know that you know we're dealing with you know people that play video games a lot. Uh, yes. Most of your crew, uh, or at least part of your crew, had some experience with Legends and certainly pr past experience with RTS games like StarCraft yeah. or whatever. A Age of Empires, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, and so I noticed that there was some, I will say, like high level complaints about like the UI UX experience mm -hmm. in terms of the ability to how quickly you can do things and when you the difference of going through the campaign and doing these things versus the speed at which you want to do them in a competitive environment and i'm curious to see how that's going to pan out because i think for games like this the longevity is really going to come from a we'll call it a healthy competitive scene like and a robust people, pvp scene yeah yeah so if people cannot be as competitive as they want or they feel like the game is holding them back 
I feel like they're going to lose interest, you know, pretty quickly, or it's just going to be a frustrating experience. And so it's not going to be fun when you lose a match because you can't get to a menu item fast enough, like that kind of stuff, I yeah. think is not how you want to lose. I, I mean, I can be pretty competitive. I'm not a sore loser, but I'm certainly okay when I've been outmatched. I'm just like, okay, yeah, I totally get outplayed. But if it's the game that's holding me back and I don't know that I played that match at my full potential, then then I would find that very frustrating, even for someone as, as chill as I am. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's a couple of things that, um, yeah, Fwip and Grian in particular are both like longtime seasoned strategy players. So they have a lot of thoughts about how the game could be improved. And it's really meant to be constructive criticism, even if it comes across as like, why don't they do this? Ah, oh, it seems like the most obvious thing in the world. Like, uh, I think there is room for balancing. There is room for patching in a few features that hopefully people would find more, um, you know, more more effective from a seasoned real time strategy player's perspective. There's definitely a few things that I think, yeah, they could do that, but I can understand why they won't. Um, but like you said, a lot of those complaints are coming from like a, a high level kind of strategic gameplay. I think a lot of people are going to want to jump into this just to try and have fun. And there's a few things about this that make it difficult for people to get too competitive with this stuff. The first of which is that um, the public lobbies that you can join are first and foremost only 4v4. And secondly, they don't have any kind of in-game chat or way to communicate with other players beyond just pinging locations on a map or pinging things as you're building them to let people know hey i'm building you this resource improvement or whatever so unless you are able to join a public lobby with your friends you don't know for certain what the other players are going to be doing and so that limits the amount of teaming up that can happen if you're matchmaking with random people the other thing is that there is no ranked ladder planned as far as we're aware i believe the developers have confirmed this and that's also just to encourage like a general sense of this is something that's fun to jump in and play, but isn't necessarily going to be like a, a ladder full of people who are dedicated to just playing this game constantly. And that's a double-edged sword because you would get some very dedicated players out of a ranked ladder system. And that's what would keep people coming back if they're interested in investing a lot of time into Minecraft Legends. But it's also not the kind of player community they want to foster, seemingly, which is an interesting decision and one that we'll see what the, you know, the the fallout of that is. Whether people do lose interest in Minecraft Legends after a while, if they decide to add a ranked matchmaking system in there later, if they decide to organise more official competitions so that players can turn up with teams and decide things on a more official sense about like you know rankings and that kind of stuff it will be interesting to see how that shakes out but overall to jump into and play this week ton of fun highly recommend playing this game um it's going to be available on all the consoles all the sort of major modern consoles it's going to be on steam windows store all those places yeah really recommend checking it out so just to clarify i cannot jump into a random 1v1 with a stranger no, but um, I can, but I can set up a one v one. Like if you and I wanted to go head to head after, you know, I learned the game, we could do that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Private matches can be arranged anywhere from one v one to four v four and the teams ah. can be lopsided. So you can do a three v two or a one v four or whatever, right. you know, okay. any combination thereof. Um, but yeah, public matches have to be four v four. I think the game might start if you have a three v three. Um, but it's been difficult to really test that because there aren't that many other people playing the game with the early right, access versions yeah. that we have. So, right. um, yeah, it seems like the only public matches are 4v4 and you can even jump into a game mid-session. Uh, so you might 
turn up like you might queue for a public match and suddenly be in somebody else's game that's 30 minutes in and just be taking the place of a fourth player who had to drop out so yeah there there is potential for stuff like that to happen um i'm slightly concerned that's going to lead to a few situations where a few players will see the writing on the wall you know notice that the other team is bringing a bunch of siege units over to their base log out before the match ends and I presume they have a forfeit system of some kind in place. But if they don't, then a bunch of players are going to join in, have their base destroyed and lose immediately. So I'm hoping that's not the case. But I have, again, I haven't really had enough experience with it yet to test that stuff. Right. Okay. Moving on to Chunk Mail. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is the Chunk Mail dispenser. So our main discussion will be removed in lieu of extra Chunk Mail. So lucky you. If you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. Indicate in the subject line if you are a patron uh, and keep them short and sweet if you can. First email comes in from Daniel H. Replaceable Blocks. Hi, Joel and Pix. Regarding your discussion of replaceable blocks in episode 240, replaceable is a block tag, which is how Minecraft defines a lot of data. You can control block tags with data packs, and the default vanilla data pack has a default list, which you can find in the Minecraft wiki tag page or your F3 debug menu. The replaceable tag list is a different list than the enchantment power transmitter, which is what you can put between the table and the bookshelf. But the tag is just a reference to the replaceable tag by default. Another tag added was enchantment power provider, which by default is just bookshelves, but you can now extend it to include chiseled bookshelves. So not necessarily a long discussion here, unless Pixie, you've got more to add. Um, just passing along a bit of clarity regarding last week's chat about the uh, bookshelf enchantment and what blocks block it and what blocks don't. I think by extend to include at the end of Daniel's email, um, they're referring to possibilities with data packs. So you could employ a data pack to say chiseled bookshelves will also power enchantment tables in a data pack. So not mm-hmm. a vanilla feature, but something you can control. In my opinion, these enchantment table changes still need better clarification from Mojang for the average player. Um, I really appreciate Daniel writing in and, and making sure that um, we knew that replaceable was not just the word replaceable in the description, but it's also the tag that they're referring to. What yeah. I find really confusing is that the enchantment power transmitter, that's the new tag that they talked about in the snapshot last week. And that tag references the replaceable tag by default and so it's like a list within a list and so you have to know (laughs) what the reference list is to understand what the new list is and which i find more complicated than it it's complicated to explain it's probably the easiest way to do it from a coding perspective but from layman's terms and just explaining it you know on on the show it's a little bit more um more involved we'll have a link to the java edition 23w14a additions to the tag list in the show notes it's the link to the minecraft wiki and that lists them plain for you to read things like air water lava leaves grass pitcher plants warped vine water glow lichen etc so you'll get a pretty good idea of what you know by reading that list you don't have to memorize it but you'll have like a general idea of what will allow the bookshelves to then power the enchantment table yeah it's good to know um it's obviously a little harder to pass for players with a lower level of technical knowledge um and the other thing is i'm glad that minecraft wiki list exists and i don't know if because it's a java edition thing if that's still the same on bedrock edition i think there might have been a note in the 
changelog for Bedrock Edition in that preview changelog that I didn't include in the show notes. But um, if this change also takes place for Bedrock players, they don't have access to something like the F3 debug information screen. So they couldn't see the tags that were attached to blocks that way, even if it works the same way in the Bedrock code base, which I'm not certain if it does or not. So um, yeah, I think it, it's it's important if it's going to work the same way across both editions of the game that it, it's it's something that feels more intuitive to the player. Hopefully it will be, and hopefully it'll just cause less confusion when you're placing, you know, enchantment table bookshelves and not like you know you have torches or a carpet or whatever like leaves and grass and that kind of stuff in between them and it's still gonna give you the full access to the uh the enchantment um yeah i I don't think there's really much else that needs to be said about this like you said but it's uh something that i don't know it, it was just a clarity thing for the changelog itself it felt like more than a, a clarity about the mechanics you know agreed um, let's move on to Stora AS, uh, has sent me an email, uh, with the subject of outgrowing the world. And Stora is an ore producer member of our Discord community. So thank you so much for writing in. Uh, this one says, hi, Pix and Joel. I wanted to hear your thoughts on a subject that is close to me right now, growing out of your world. I think this is something that happens to us all now and then. You're playing in a server or in a single player world with huge plans when you realize that there need to be more players in this world. It could be that players have left the server or that there were too few from the start. Leaving the world behind is not an option because of all you have done and all your future plans. How do you get players interested in joining a server that has been around for a while and the server's early game is long gone? I know that a lot of players play on multiple servers, but that doesn't really work for me. Store AS was lost in the void while trying to merge all the worlds into one. So the Citadel is a long-term world and uh, has had some new players come in over time. But ultimately, I am the one that is logging in a lot because I'm the only one that does streaming and content creation full time. Uh, there are a number of other players that log in on a regular basis, but they don't have quite the same log time nor the same scale of projects. And so as a result, I find that I can get lost in thinking of the Citadel as a single player world for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it still has the fun of like little pranks and help from from server mates and um some organized events we had a, a abba caving event a little while ago so it still has those things in there um but i think for me if i'm trying to bring somebody in and they're like oh I, I, joel like i'm a busy professional i don't have time for video games that's where i can say well look the citadel is not like the grindy early minecraft world I am one of the only content creators on there. There are a couple of other people that stream, but there's no rush like you see at the beginning of a Hermitcraft season for everyone to get going as fast as possible and put out like tons of videos. There's no pressure. And I think that that can be very appealing for either a busy adult that has a family and a job and a life or a busy student that it needs to focus on studies. Um, if or just someone that doesn't particularly like the early game grind of Minecraft and wants to go straight into building, you can kind of self-govern that early game experience. Do you want to go mining and get your own stuff? Or do you want to be just like, hey friend, uh, I just joined your server. Can I borrow a chest full of stones so I can actually do some stuff? Mm -hmm. And that can be appealing to some people that don't have a lot of time. Um, as far as, you know, oh, growing the world, uh, if something was to happen where the Citadel will no longer be a server, 
because I have access to the back end of it, then I would just roll it into a single player world. I would just be like, all right, well, I'm not giving up on this. This is now mine. Uh, Insert, you know, the best Emperor Palpatine impression (laughs) you can there. I just, I I just, um, I would not be able to walk away from it because of just the sheer volume of time, effort and design and fun stuff that I've got built in the world. And it's something that I run into when I try to do my own single player worlds, whether it's modded or skyblock or whatever, I start to get into it. I start to feel the time investment and I just start to think I'm just splitting my time. I should just focus on the one thing because of all the infrastructure that's in in the Citadel. I'm getting farther ahead faster by putting that time on the Citadel. And that's what happened with the very first experience I had in Minecraft, which was on a world that I called Eternia. It was a realm. It was the free realm uh, that we set up with myself and Steven ESC, who got me into Minecraft, uh, was him and his boys and me. And I very quickly started putting a lot of time in. They decided they didn't want to continue with the realm. It wasn't worth the time. The boys really weren't playing survival Minecraft. They were more logging onto different servers and playing mini games and things. Uh, they were younger, um, five or six years ago. And so I just downloaded the world, you know, like I just downloaded it, made it my own. There was very little in the little Valley that we had set up for me to remove that was built by, you know, Steven and his, his kids. So I just kind of like terraformed it and made it my own. And that was my first Minecraft world, single player. I just downloaded the realm. Now, depending on who owns the server, you may not have access to do that. Um, but that would be, you know, my idea of outgrowing the world. Like you've got two options. You can either kind of incentivize other people like you, like take a look at what you get out of the world and what you enjoy about it and try to find friends that might be interested. Um, or you can just download it and make it a single player situation. The thing that I think that is the most interesting about having a long-term world, I think it can be really appealing to someone that's new to the game because then they're not alone. They're not lost in Minecraft beating their head up against a tree trying to figure out what to do next they can like see what's being built around them they can ask other players uh and and you can you know maybe take a break from your big project and maybe give someone a nice little tutorials you know co-play stream or co-play event and just kind of get them up to speed and that can be really fun yeah i i honestly think for a start downloading the world being an option is a very important point um, you can always re-upload it to a server if you find the right group of friends to continue playing That's in an true, existing yeah. world. But so, so, like, you know, M- Minecraft worlds can be these sort of transient things that you, you take down and then you keep on your hard drive for a while and then you put it back up somewhere else, ha- having played a bit of single player even. Um, so, so that's definitely an option. Um, some people are fine joining a server mid-season, and that was often the case when I had a patron server, it was the same kind of thing where like, people would come and go and people would sort of integrate into whatever state the server was in at the time. They liked having frequent resets because it feels like the feeling of being part of the world from the very beginning is one of the things that I personally find quite valuable and I expect there are a lot of people in my community who felt the same. And I feel like that approach, yeah, w- works better for me when I'm there from the beginning. Even joining a world that's already in progress, which to me feels like you're visiting an art gallery and hanging up your own painting <laughs> to a certain extent, um, I I find that 
regardless of the state of progress of the world, I still want to do the early game myself. I still want to go out, find a forest, punch a tree, move up through that. When Empires did our collab with Hermitcraft, I was handed Elytra, a couple of Totems of Undying, and a block of Diamond, and I still went out and did the tool progression, uh, because I, I felt like it, and it also, like, you know, earning advancements and stuff was obviously part of that as well, but I kind of liked the notion that I was starting fresh, in a sense, and exploring bits of the world that inevitably hadn't been discovered because Minecraft worlds are so large. Um, but yeah, in this case, I think inviting people to a server can be difficult depending on what they like to do. But if you're inviting them for a specific project, that is perhaps a good way to start. And uh, we know Stora from our monthly hangouts where he's been sharing pictures of a perimeter that he's dug by hand. This is the one that's had a, a desert temple at like negative 51 in the world like in the deep slate layers um which is a wild thing to see but obviously that's so much time and effort going in so i can understand the need to keep that kind of stuff around but if you're bringing in friends to help with something huge like that that can both be a way to get to play with other people and have them if not guaranteed then at least encouraged to be involved for a certain amount of time but they might also become attached to it. You know, you put that amount of time and effort into a project that you're helping somebody with, it gets you familiar with the server, maybe they decide to stick around. So I think it's always possible that if you if you plan an activity for a group of people and say, hey, I'm getting a bunch of people together, let's build XYZ in Minecraft, or let's dig out this large area, or let's design a minigame theme park or whatever you'd want to do. I think you can do a lot of stuff like that that's going to get people interested and whether it gets them hooked and they want to come back more regularly, that can be a uh, a new lease of life for the server after that point. I feel like the, the hump that people have when they're joining an, an existing world is the self-governing aspect of Minecraft. Like if you yeah. want to do the early game, you can. You can just run far away and just pretend like you're on your own until you want to are at a stage where you feel like you want to join the rest of them. Or, you know, you can go the other direction and just kind of say, all right, well, I want to do this to a point, but like I really want some Prismarine and I really don't want to build, you know, yeah. a, a, an ocean monument farm. Exactly. You know, and so I'll just ask Pix, hey, uh, can I maybe use... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> your 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 um your guardian farm and i think that that's you see that a lot when you when you watch um different servers that have content creators out there at at a certain level they are looking at their time invested in creating videos and playing the game and they're like okay i really want to build this thing and building the thing is the fun part that people want to see um what i don't want to do is spend 16 hours of my week building my own guardian farm when i could yeah. just go borrow someone else's and I think that's where the collaboration and fun of of a server comes in. Like I borrow honey from Alistair all the time because he's got a great little bee farm, you know, over in his Avalon build. And I just, I've, in a way I've not, I don't know much about making a bee farm because I've never had to do it myself. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are some aspects where like you, you can sort of like miss out on some gameplay, but if something really intrigues you, then you can usually find a, a an interesting way uh, to do it on your own. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to build my copper aging machine on Hermitcraft if I hadn't had access to like a full shulker box of redstone blocks that Azuma gave me. And I'm like, I'm not gathering that much redstone on my own, even with like a raid farm or something, you know, be the mm -hmm. sixth raid farm that season of Hermitcraft has or something at this stage. Um, but yeah, let's move on to copper. Uh, sorry, wrong, wrong username. Sorry, let's move on to uh, Corporal Narwhal's next email. This one comes in from Corporal Narwhal and the subject is Trimmer Piglins. 
Greetings, Johnny and Joel, my favourite podcasting duo. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I've had an idea concerning piglins and armour trims recently. What do you two think about the mechanic of wearing the trim you find in bastions, in gold, obviously, acting as a piece of gold armour to deter piglins? As an endgame player myself, swapping between my combat and exploration netherite boots and my much less durable gold boots whenever I enter the nether has gone old pretty quickly. Perhaps if you were to trim one or more pieces of your armour with the snout trim in gold, it would act as a piece of gold armour while still providing the benefits of netherite. After all, isn't that one of the reasons we have armour trim now? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the awesome show and thanks for providing lots of material for road trips. Corporal Narwhal died trying to convince the brutes that it really is gold. <laughs> this is my favorite sign-off in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one quick counter-argument to this. If you're using the snout trim, it means you've raided the piglins' chests, and the piglins already don't like that. So if anything, if you're using the snout trim, that's probably giving them more reason to dislike you. But that's that's by the by. I feel like that's uh, just, a, just a, a casual nitpick there. I think the fact that armor trim or gold armor trim specifically does not act as a way to pacify piglins is a bit of an oversight in the design of armor trim. Mojang has put a lot of work into armor trim and is creating a system where players can customize and express themselves with their armor only to have it mean diddly squat when the nether comes in and managing piglins aggression towards you. And we all know that players tend to take the easiest road, which will likely mean a single piece of gold armor is going to be worn all the time. Uh, in my case, it's a helmet. I jump off of far too many things to have squishy boots, so I opt for netherite boots. I would love to have maybe gold trim in my netherite boots instead of having to wear a gold helmet, um, but I I also don't plan on doing a lot of armor trim on my helmet because the gold helmet's a pretty bold color, and by adding trim to it, you're making it even more bold, and so it depends on your taste, but like I, I, I'm on the fence with armor trim because like it's a lot of time to go out and explore and find them and apply them, but then when it comes to gameplay, like chances are experienced players are going to be wearing an elytra all the time, which means they're not going to be wearing their decorative chest plate. You know, it means that you're down to helmets, leggings, and boots. One of them is going to be a gold item to deter piglins. And sure, that might have some trim on it, but you're left with your only two decorative pieces of armor trim that are going to be worn on a regular basis are probably going to be something like pants and a helmet or pants and boots, you know, with a gold helmet. And because of that, I think that not just a specific armor trim in the nether to deter piglins. I think any gold trim uh, should deter piglins because that means that you can have any gold trim that you want, like any pattern that you want, applied to any armor piece that you want, and it will deter piglins. The issue there is that you just have to like gold trim. And if you don't like gold trim, if you want that netherite red stone look, then you're going to have to sacrifice something to be brighter in order to deter the piglin. So I, the, the piglin thing, I understand the game mechanic. I get why it's in the game. I just feel like there's this real battle between function and fashion in terms of what you want to do to maneuver the nether carefree. Um, and it, it, it fights with the, the, the theme of, of this update. Yeah. I can, I can see the argument that it's, forcing players into a decision when a lot of this update has been about freedom but obviously this is a decision they've made about the piglin mechanics back in the nether update right right and you, you brought up elytra and chest pieces it's exactly the same thing wearing gold is a trade-off you know it's intended to make survival gameplay more challenging it forces you to sacrifice effective armor for the benefit of making piglins passive 
And if gold trim ends up pacifying piglins, that just flattens gameplay because it removes any strategic elements to raiding a bastion or a crimson forest where you're obviously putting on some armor that weakens you, generally speaking. It's, I mean, it's if it's a gold helmet or some gold boots, it's half a point of armor, so it's really not that much of a deficit. You lose maybe a little bit of knockback resistance or whatever you'd get from the netherite armor, but uh, I, I genuinely think it's like, and it, it's an important trade-off. And it adds an element to sneaking around and stuff that that is fine. I, I've had a few people come into my stream when I've been in the nether and wearing a gold helmet and, and like I don't take my gold helmet off when I go back to the overworld because I'm just like, oh, I'm going to go back to the nether in a minute anyway and I don't want to deal with the piglins. And people just say, why not just kill the piglins? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I could. I could go in there with full netherite armor if I wanted to. The fact is, it just distracts me from doing all of the other stuff I want to do. And... Like, I can recognize that that's something people would rather just wear full armor all of the time. People would rather wear a chest plate and elytra at the same time and be able to fly while still being fully armored, but that's an important part of gameplay balance, and that really can't be overstated. There is now, of course, the option to hot swap armor from your hotbar. I think that was added in 119.4, or it's coming in 1.20. I can't remember which side of the experimental thing that fell on, but it's been a thing in Bedrock for a while, so just a parity feature that was added to Java recently. And so you can carry a gold helmet in your hotbar and right-click to equip it without opening your inventory now, which should hopefully cut down on the frustration that our correspondent is feeling about, you know, having to swap to their, their gold helmet all of the time. And then, honestly, if you want my advice, go with Joel's suggestion, ditch the boots, make your helmet the gold armor item, uh, because it's only half a point of armor different from netherite or diamond, and it's the same armor loss as boots, but they're easier to enchant. You don't have as many additional enchantments so if your helmet breaks then you've just got to go and get unbreaking protection mending respiration and aqua affinity as opposed to adding you know depth strider soul speed protection mending feather falling like all of the stuff that you can add onto boots plus your boots are at a higher risk of breaking if you're using soul speed so i understand you're not wanting them to be as durable but yeah i i genuinely think the piglin thing is one of the more interesting aspects of gameplay. It's part of piglin culture, almost, that they respect somebody who's wearing gold and they see them more as like a, a loose ally than they do uh, a hostile force. And I think that's a way more interesting thing than like the, than the armor trim thing that doesn't end up with you sacrificing anything to, to wear it. Um, and like I said before, I think if, you, if you're wearing the snout banner pattern, then that means you've probably raided a bastion in the past. Even having netherite armor, I feel like, should also be that the piglins have some element of ownership over netherite. Aside from them being added in the same update, they have netherite as a resource in bastion loot chests. They have ancient debris in there, so it clearly means they have some sense of it being precious to them. And you know, you're you're raiding the nether to get both that and now the upgrade templates for netherite. So if anything, they should be more hostile to you if you're wearing netherite of any kind. I feel like there's there's maybe another gameplay trade-off that could happen there. So maybe we're lucky that it's just one gold helmet and they don't bother you. Speaking of gameplay trade-offs, what would you think of an enchantment to deter piglins instead of having to wear gold armor as like a late game sort of thing, like something that would require you to have a certain amount of gear maybe it's only applicable to like 
diamond or netherite gear and it would sacrifice something like you know you couldn't have i'm not sure what to call it the bacon enchantment you couldn't have the bacon enchantment and protection on the same piece of armor like you'd have still have to sacrifice some sort of functionality but at least you could have whatever color and pattern that you would want on on the armor big question for me is what's late game at this point well, because yeah like if, if you can get this enchantment from treasure chests only like if you can't get it from villager trading then that's one thing but you've got to go and find that treasure chest if you find it in the nether then you've already had to go through all of the piglin combat stuff to begin with and you well, may as well just have been wearing a gold helmet in the first place right yeah i well and that could be interesting though like if if the enchantment was only found in bastions then the, it forces you to go through the mechanics that they are now once you've conquered that bastion then you can say okay well now i've earned the right to be just like We'll call it friendly with the piglins, but really they're just scared of you. I don't know. That, I mean, that could <laughs> yeah, be an interesting. I, if, if it's, I don't know. If it's piglin fear, if it's the same thing, they, they run from you the same way they do uh, from um, zombie piglins and things like that, maybe. Like, I, I would take it if it was a new mechanic, if it felt like something that the player couldn't do before. But I think right now, I think the gold helmet thing, the gold armor thing is just a good trade off. And while obviously having a gold band on all of your netherite armor is going to help you look pretty flashy and you'd assume that that's enough gold for piglins to take notice of it, from a practical perspective, I think it might be too complex a mechanic for people to really understand. And there's so many different options for armor trim that like how much armor trim is too much, how much is not enough. It, it feels like it'd just be too easy of a trade-off. Plus, you're only using one gold ingot to do that with the armor trim templates, whereas you have to use at least four or five gold ingots to make a full piece right. of gold armor that the piglins are going to respect. So part of that is an expense thing as well, even though armor trims are going to be in short supply and high demand, I think, once they're around. Last email comes in from Hex Snowy Sniffer. Hi, Johnny and Joel. After listening to your podcast regarding the Sniffer sneak peek we received a few weeks ago, uh, it motivated me to make a concept for the Sniffer. The idea is that whenever the sniffer is in a snowy weather biome, its skin would change to have snow covering its back. The snow would melt back to normal in a warm biome, or the player used a shovel on it, giving a snowball in exchange. This would give the sniffer more of a place in the world that isn't native to them. It is also common for large mammals to gather snow on their back during winter. Imagine a large herd of them lumbering across a white tundra, all thriving thanks to the player. I believe world interaction is the key with the sniffer. I'm curious to hear what you think of this concept. I've included a picture of a snowy sniffer my friend helped me render. Best regards, Hex. And we'll have a picture included in the show notes uh, this week on the website. First of all, adorable. <laughs> As many things about the sniffer are, I do like the the snow covered topping it, it kind of reminds me of a combination of like the muddy pig uh from minecraft earth obviously in a good way and uh christmas pudding <laughs> it does just look like a big old pudding <laughs> at this point so um yeah, yeah. like i i'm i'm on board just from an aesthetic level i'm in 100 percent um yeah, I, I kind of think that the, the world interaction thing is a really good point. And I was almost wondering when they were talking about the sniffer finding different plants, if the sniffer's plants were going to be found in specific biomes the same way that frogs work, right? Like, you, it encourages players to move them around. Like, frogs, you have to hatch them in different biomes to get the different colors and then the different frog lights from there. It'll give players more of a reason to interact with the sniffer and take them around the world or hatch them in different places if 
you could only find pitcher plants in colder regions, maybe because they're a blue plant or whatever, and then torch flowers are more common in more temperate and warm biomes. It gives a sense that the world has had a history that's not just universal, you know what I mean? Like, you don't always find the same plants in every place, and different biomes would have different flora that had, you know, been resurrected by the sniffer. I think that's a, that's a fun idea, and I would love to see them tied to biome diversity in some way in future. I like the idea of the sniffer shaking it off as kind of like a, a idle animation, you know, in the same way that uh, dogs uh, or wolves will shake off the rain after it, yeah. it rains mm-hmm. in Minecraft. Same idea, you know, you, you all have seen that big mammal elephant or or bear kind of like to do that kind of like hide shake where the whole back just kind of wobbles around and gets rid of whatever's on them. And I, I think that's really interesting. And, and I like the idea of integrating it into the world. And I know that you mentioned frogs and we breed them in different environments to get different colors, but I don't think we have any mobs in Minecraft that actually change color based on the biome, right? Like it's frogs, you breed them, but if you bring a a, a regular swamp frog frog into a, a swamp or into a, a desert, then they don't change color. Like they just, yeah, just yeah, yeah. They, it's how you, where they're bred. I like the idea of that changing and it could be just a matter of where you breed them. Um, but I also like the idea of having the sniffer change in the same way that uh, bedrock trees, leaves change color in a snowy biome. It could be really fun to have, you know, a sniffer that would walk with you into a snowy biome and then gradually change to a white coated sniffer that you could get a snowball from. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of an interesting idea. I mean, snow golems are still going to be the most efficient way to get more snow but if it's a fun mini game to like get some sniffers together and just shovel them for snow that could be kind of fun too a little rp you know you're taking care of your herd of of sniffers um i'm curious as to what other things could could do that i know that i've played a mod where creepers in different biomes would be like chameleons so like they'd be yeah sand colored in the desert they were brighter green in the in the jungle they were more of a muddy color in the savanna, that kind of a thing. Um, and that was hard <laughs> because mm-hmm. they were very difficult to see. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that could be one way to do it. I don't know if I want more dangerous creepers, but it would be very interesting to add some imaginary animal, you know, that Mojang comes up with and have it be something where if you decide to have your base in a specific biome, then that animal, if you're going to farm it or have it around, domesticate it, will be a different color. You know, uh, birds are a good example of of things like that, that that have usually plumage that either completely contrasts their environment or is meant to blend in depending on what kind of bird it is. What if they add the glare in future, which can happen mm-hmm. because they've brought stuff mm-hmm. back from the, uh, the, the losers of the biome votes and stuff before, if they end up adding the glare and the glare has like some kind of biome dependent coloring. I like that. Uh, we can we can have lettuce of all different colors and varieties. Um, yeah, I, I think I think there is room for that in the game. I think that's a, that's kind of a neat idea. And w- the argument against that being the sniffer in this sense is that the sniffer's back is supposed to be. I mean, if it's not fur, then it's moss, and moss doesn't change color depending on which biome it is in. Famously, so I think right. it's that there's there's a little bit of justification for that if we want to consider the sniffer a, a mossy animal by default. Um, but yeah, I, I do like the idea of mobs having that more of like a chameleon-like property to them. And yeah, the creeper example was one I was going to share as well. I've seen that done with 
resource packs and stuff as well before so i do think it's kind of a, a neat idea maybe not one for creepers necessarily because no. like you said a little bit more difficult to spot um but yeah i i do think there's there's room for it and it expands minecraft's more organic life in a way that seems familiar to players at this point and we had an, another example from the past uh, the moo bloom uh probably you know something that would be uh, a cow bred in a flower forest right yeah yeah i mean absolutely. not to hang it all on the edge of a sniffer but what if the sniffer in a flower forest had flowers spreading out of its back <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah little things like i mean that that adds a lot to the model so maybe not sprouting but maybe just the texture changes you know and they grow little flowers just just cute little things like that could be i mean that could be even be done with i don't know about a data pack but certainly with a, a mod um and that is the kind of mod that i think is really fun and interesting because it doesn't really affect gameplay it's just yeah. like an immersive fun kind of like little easter egg thing that could be added to the game that doesn't change your block palettes or anything like that it just kind of gives like flower sniffers for fun you know yeah yeah i, I think it's going to be an interesting challenge for the art team though just on account of certain of course, mobs yeah. having very specific coloring and and like color harmony within their texture that if that's got to change based on biomes you've got to have something that looks good in a mesa <laughs> as well as in like a, a plains or a dark oak forest or something that's got to be a, a lot of work uh, well folks i think we'll wrap things up there thank you so much to the people who sent in their emails today and thank you for listening to the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat where you can participate in things like the live show recording that we do in discord every week and our monthly minecraft audio hangout which once again is coming up this forthcoming saturday we currently have 322 patrons which is down one from last week there is of course always room for more special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spun chunks on twitter and instagram a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on itunes spotify google podcasts and even youtube be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform that helps the show out tremendously you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the rss feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixariffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where right now a lot of Minecraft Legends content is going up as the game prepares to launch tomorrow. Expect a few other things to pop up here and there, working on some Empire stuff too. And incidentally, I stream three days a week on Twitch and a couple of other days besides, actually, because a few extra streams have been popping up here and there with Minecraft Legends and Elden Ring. Most of the time, though, I'm doing the behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which I ate a Pop-Tart for this week. You can find that through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com. I have to say that again. <clears throat> Everything I am doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com. My other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment is at thecitadelcafe.com. You can follow me at joelduggan on social media and joelduggan on Twitch, where I stream every day except for Mondays because I'm too busy doing this show and Lego Fridays are back. And currently we are pushing to finish Westill the rest of the time. Of course, 
Minecraft Legends tomorrow. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, which makes it hard to leave it behind.